ladies and gentlemen, that music, uh, that music can only mean one thing, it is time for Chicago Podcast Network, ongoing, recurring series, however you want to look at it, anything you want to say, do, we are doing episode 5, the best of all Star Wars movies in this humble broadcaster's opinion, and we are ready to get started. Ladies and gentlemen, joining me over the interwebs on Skype is my good buddy, AJ Signary. AJ, say hello to the people. Was that was that a wampa? Uh, what 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 creature are we going for with that? Or are you just uh, being you? That's a that's a newly infant Wookiee. Newly infant Wookiee. Did you know that Chewie actually has a son in the Star Wars universe? He does. Yes, his name is Malata Buck. He was in the Star Wars Christmas special. They often malign. Also known Sasquatch. What's up? Also known as Sasquatch. Also known as Sasquatch. I feel like that's racist. I, I know that you can't really be racist against fictional characters, but I feel as though you're being racist against a fictional character. Can you be racist towards Wookiees? I mean, I mean, it's it's really like well, it only put knockoff really if you really think about it. Well, not only that, but it, wouldn't it be specious? It would be specious. Like you wouldn't be a racist; you'd be specious. Like I'm, I'm, I'm against that species. You would. That's what that's what Star Wars Episode Eight should be about: the rise of the clan in the Star Wars universe. <laughs> just, just a bunch of dudes in white stormtrooper helmets, but with no face, and put a triangle top on the stormtrooper helmet, and they all get together and ride horses, and then John Ford makes a movie about them. See, so, you're on to something. I think Star Troopers are like the KKK, but I, in the intergalactic universe i can officially say that this will be the only star wars podcast this week that will also reference birth of a nation (laughs) 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 oh man have you ever seen okay i know this is the empire podcast but speaking of the rise of the empire and the empire strikes back have you ever actually watched birth of a nation do you know what I'm talking about with that movie? Many times, many times. For those of you who don't know, Birth of a Nation is a movie, like one of the first movies ever made in Hollywood, and it tells the heroic tale, I can't believe I'm going to say this, the heroic tale of the Ku Klux Klan saving a white woman from the ravages of uh, basically black cannibals is how they're portrayed in the movie, I mean. Well, yeah, D.W. Griffith, that was... Sorry, D.W. Griffith, I said John Ford, I meant D.W. Griffith. Um, one of the first feature-long movies. And it, it's a silent film, so you kind of have, like, that silent film quality where there, you see dialogue and they cut it over to, like, text and everything. And what made the movie even more horrific is because all the black characters were blackface. Yeah, that's what it... Okay, yeah, I've always tried to remember... The, I mean, it's it, besides the fact that it's the heroic tale of the Ku Klux Klan, uh, it's... Yeah, it's got people with blackface. It's always great. The, uh... Alright, so we've done the prequels. We've done Star Wars. We are now at the Godfather Part 2 of the Star Wars universe. The one movie that when I grew up, AJ, and when you were growing up too, when the, the argument always was when I was a kid, sequels are never as good as the original. Right? That was always the argument when we were growing up. If you look at uh, Back to the Future 2 versus the original Back to the Future, though I can make an argument for Back to the Future 2. But this was one of the movies that they said, except for The Godfather Part 2 and Empire Strikes Back. Those are two movies that are better than the original, depending on who you talk to. I, 
believe that Empire is better than Star Wars. It is the best Star Wars movie produced to date. Maybe The Force Awakens is better. I don't know if that's even possible. But here we are at Empire Strikes Back. And since we've done it so many times, AJ, before we really get going, I have a requirement that we've gotten into our format. Here's the crawl, ladies and gentlemen. Another one that does not reference C-SPAN debating or taxation. It is a dark time for the Rebellion. Although the Death Star has been destroyed, Imperial troops have driven the Rebel forces from their hidden base and pursued them across the galaxy, evading the dreaded Imperial Starfleet, a group of freedom fighters led by Luke Skywalker has established a new secret base on the remote ice world of Hoth. The evil Lord Darth Vader, obsessed with finding young Skywalker, has dispatched thousands of remote probes into the far reaches of space. Now, this movie has the best opening scene if you include, I include the whole Battle of Hoth as the opening scene, has the best opening, maybe of all, any movie of all time. Maybe. With the exception of, I would say Raiders of the Lost Ark in the Temple is there, and James Bond's uh, Casino Royale with Daniel Craig. Because of just how perfect that is for Bond and the Daniel Craig Bond. But I think that the Battle of Hoth is the best opening to a movie of all time. Because it's better than... The ending of Return of the Jedi and better than the ending of Star Wars. Your opinion, sir, on the Battle of Hoth? Um, that's you really think that's the best scene? The Battle of Hoth is my favorite scene in all of Star Wars. My favorite. I mean, my, favorite my favorite scene is when Luke and Han are out riding around, and Luke needs to um, seek warmth, and so you just have to cut open a, a tauntaun. You know, it's funny, uh, my friend Nicole had never watched, she's uh, been with me watching all of these as I've been getting ready for these shows, and we watched Empire, and she Did immediately... She survived the first three? She survived the first three, well, if you include long periods of sleeping during the Senate scenes, then yes, she survived all three. That was an option I did not have, but she did, and she kept falling asleep during them. But no, she... The movie starts off, and Luke's riding the Tauntaun across the snow, and she goes, oh, what is that? I love that. I want one. And I said, yeah, I remember that. <laughs> and then when the thing dies, and he gets cut open, like, first, the first one dies because the Wampa kills it, and then the second right. one dies because of hypothermia, and she just gets all sad, and then I'm like, wait for it, and he cuts it open, and then I always forget that they show you the guts. I always forget that. And then they, they, they pop out, and you're like, oh, yeah, no, they go for it here. It's gross, but awesome. But not so much, dude, the, uh, the build-up to that. I know what you're saying. Like, that's your favorite part of it, but I don't know. So you like you really like the early part of Empire 2. You like the, the stuff where it's he's looking for the asteroid, and he finds the probe droid and all that? Yeah, I mean, there's something about that that adds a... A realness to it that when you watch that scene now you're like really adds another dimension to the story and it's like oh i know this is fictional but this could be like a real thing it's you very, know it, it makes me think of jack london novels that and you know when you watch like reality shows <laughs> And they have to like 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 Bear Grylls, you know. It's kind of like, oh, 
I mean, I can see a universe where people do that. <laughs> well, it's funny you mention that, because one of the things I always, uh, you know I'm an expanded universe guy, all the novels and stuff, and there's one thing I've always liked, I always used to debate with my buddy, I said, there's so many planets in this galaxy that they're in, that there has to be at least one or two where there's just one dude who crash landed, and it's just there. And that's like his entire existence, or her entire existence. He's living on some planet that's like next to a big battle that no one will ever bother to find these people. Like think of all the ships that blow up all the time. We know they have escape pods, so people just go running. And it's just like, alright, well I was in that battle that one time, I was 20 years old. Now I'm 50 and I've just been living on this planet. Kind of like Yoda does on Dagobah. It's just like, it's just him. Like Apparently Yoda has that whole planet to himself. Well, that's the perception that Yoda is just living there by himself in a swamp. With no internet. And, you know, you're talking about, you know, someone accidentally landing on a planet. You know who would do that. Who's that? Howard the Duck. Okay, listen. um, We need (laughs) to set some ground rules for the discussion of Empire. I will not let our Empire Strikes Back podcast be sullied. By the reputa- reputation of Howard the Duck. By the way, both of these pro- uh, things are now owned by Disney. Disney owns Marvel, which owns Howard the Duck. So, you need to be careful, son. Because I will come through the internet and choke you. After Thursday, of course. I need you there hey, Thursday. Um, if you had a choice between Howard the Duck in Star Wars or Jar Jar Binks, which one would you rather have? Howard the Duck. He has sex. <laughs> As much as so I what's hate, your problem? listen, I love Howard the Duck, the comic book character, but when you say Howard the Duck, you're referring to the shitty movie, right? Yes. Okay, then I would That's prefer Jar Jar. Guardians of the Galaxy. No, that was Seth Green. You know that's Seth Green? No. Yeah, go back and watch Guardians. It's Seth Green as Howard the Duck. <laughs> that makes it better. Which I think they should do and make that movie, but they should let Seth Green write and direct it. With Seth MacFarlane also working on it. Because those are the two people right. you want making the Howard the Duck movie. You do. And whoever that other guy is who Seth Green works with to do Robot Chicken. Alright, we, we've, we've gone off twice now on weird paths due to references. One's my fault, one's your fault. Uh, I think mine was classic, you know, classic cinema reference. You referenced Howard the fucking Duck. Donald Duck ripoff. Um... Uh, for the record, now that Disney owns Howard the Duck, the two of them should fight. There should be a fight, and, and my money's on Donald. It should. Because Donald's got more of a temper. Uh, and with the quacking. Uh, I want to talk about Empire, and I want to I start with... I've said it before on these podcasts that we've been doing, but I, and I will continue to say it. As a Star Wars fan in the, ni- in the 90s, which is you know my heyday, as sad as that is... Uh, of Star Wars fandom, I have played and fought through the Battle of Hoth a thousand times. And uh, the more that I watch that battle, the, the it, I get an appreciation for just how epic it is on that little planet. And I love the idea of just, we have, first of all, the, the there are parts of that battle that make no, like, AT-ATs look awesome. They are very cool. They have no practical military application. They are instruments of fear, not war. 
Do you understand what I'm saying? Because th- that thing. Most machines like that. What's up? Aren't most machines like that? No, a tank is a tank. Like a tank serves a purpose. Like a tank is there because it can't be, you know, easily destroyed by infantry. That's what a tank is. A tank is the. An- if you go back and look at the history of warfare, it's. You know, a bow and arrow is the answer to rocks, right? It's a more accurate version of throwing rocks. Then you have swords to get, once you get to the arch, I mean, there's a there's a point-counterpoint in weaponry, right? So large numbers of infantry is offset by one tank, right? You can take out an entire battalion of small-armed infantry with a high-powered sniper rifle if you're in the right position. Military is constantly point-counterpoint, punch-counterpunch, however you want to look at it. I want to know what device the rebels invented that required the building of the AT-ATs. Because they are giant elephant creatures that are mechanical that apparently are not very sturdy on their legs. If you, if you think about it, right? Like, they only have the two guns. That's the other thing. A thing like that should be covered in guns. There should be guns all over that thing. And there's only the two blaster cannons on the front. Right? It's just... I've always looked at it as more of a Trojan horse than an actual war machine. Right, but a Trojan horse is so that the guys take it in and you get behind their defenses. Like, this thing is just, yeah, we've dropped, like, I, I mean, imagine you're, okay, knowing what we know about warfare, you're, you're sitting in a trench on Hoth and you look up and you just see this giant evil elephant walking towards you. At first, it would be very terrifying. And then you would notice that it can only fire two blasts every 30 seconds out of its front cannons. Okay, well, look which way it's looking, go away from that, and then let Luke go underneath it and blow it up. Because what we know about snow, snow walkers is this. One, feeble legs. Two, if you blow open the bottom a little bit, you can throw a grenade, and one grenade will take down an entire one. Right? The thing is not militarily practical, but it does create some of the coolest visuals in the Star Wars universe. That scene when the snow speeder cuts out and it goes in between the legs and comes out the other side is not from the special edition. That is original 80s, 70s Star Wars effects and is one of the coolest practical effects you'll ever see. That battle makes this movie... Into a chase. I mean, if you think about it, Empire Strikes Back, much like a lot of these Star Wars movies I'm starting to notice, are. Star Wars, the, the episode four, is one movie, right? There's one story. This is where you start to see, weirdly, even into the prequels, the idea that there are almost two movies taking place in each story. Very Lord of the Rings. If you have anybody. You've read Lord of the Rings, right? The original novels? Right. Okay. If you've, for those of you who haven't read it, the book the fellowship of the ring is one story right there's no breaks it's book one the fellowship of the ring book two you know the minds of moria those two books in that one novel like chapters and basically like star wars like chapters in a story contain the same characters after fellowship of the ring if you read the two towers and return of the king the first parts of both books are gandalf aragorn Legolas, Gimli, the characters who fight the war, and then the second books in both novels are the Frodo stories. This is a movie that does something similar. You have the Han, Leia, Chewie, R2, 3PO story, and then you have the Luke going to Dagobah to train story. And they're very different, and I would argue that it's it's weird that the, the main plot of the Star Wars universe runs through Luke and Yoda on Dagobah, but 
the more interesting story is basically this is a chase movie. You know, from the minute the movie starts, this is basically Han and Leia on the run together trying to get away from the Empire. And it creates a lot of cool moments out of that story. You have the amazing asteroid chase with some of the best music that John Williams ever writes. You've got that great scene where he turns around to attack the Star Destroyer and plants on the side of the hull. There's so much cool stuff, but the most important thing you get out of this is the beginning of a lot of character development for the, our, our main three, our big three. What I want to start with, AJ, is I want to I kind of go through the Dagobah stuff and then go back to the Han and Leia. Luke on Dagobah, what is your opinion of those sequences? Do you like them? Do they still hold up for you to this day? Well, like I said, I mean, you said... That Empire is your more solid um, movie of the trilogy, whereas I never resonated with Empire at all. So, having said that, um, I kind of I didn't feel that scene at all for me. I mean, I think you said it very eloquently, and that is. This is a chase movie. Um, we didn't expect to have prequels. We were just expecting to have New Hope, Empire, and Jedi. That was it. Maybe something further than Jedi. And so Empire for me was kind of like that movie where it's just a, a sequel that leads us to Jedi. You know, um, I never looked at it as this is like the anchor movie of the trilogy and everything so with the scene in itself um i never really felt it at all you never okay i'll be i'm gonna say something that might be blasphemous to some of my closer friends who are who are big star wars fans i don't like the stuff with luke on dagobah i love yoda in this movie it's impossible to not love yoda but i feel like the stuff with han and leia is so solid and so much fun that whenever they cut to Dagobah, I get bored. Yeah, right. I mean, that's why I never felt it because it's like this may be blasphemous. That's having Luke and Yoda there in Dagobah. It was equal to watching the Senate scenes in the prequels. Oh, they're not that. Listen, they're not that bad. They're not horrible like we know with the Senate scenes and everything. But they're just dialogue. It's just. Two people sitting. It's Luke talking to a Muppet. <laughs> Which he does, listen, got to give Hamill credit. He does a great job working with that Muppet. And that is the best looking Muppet you'll ever see. Right? Like Yoda is. It I, is. I mean. He's, it more, is. he's I mean, more believable I mean, as a Muppet than he is as a CGI character in the prequels. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's a really great. I mean, that scene kind of reminds me of certain Jim Henson movies where. There was very swamp scenes and everything. So, I mean... Down in Fraggle really, Rock. But, I mean... Down in Fraggle Rock. Down in <laughs> Fraggle Rock. No, it, it, you, um, met, you mentioned the Jim Henson thing, but this is that time period. This is the time period when those Jim Henson movies are also coming out. So, it does have that labyrinth feel to it a yeah. little bit. It does. Um, so... Minus the pederasty stuff. Right. So, I mean... That's why I never really felt those scenes because it's just boring and it's Luke getting pissed off. And it's like, well, you got yourself here. 
Not to mention you ditched your friends who were in the middle of being chased by the Empire, and you were like, yeah, no, they got it, I'm good. Like, well, it's, that typical, it's that typical, um, I'm pissed because I don't understand what the Force is, um, I'm going to do what I want, and he leaves, and then he comes across Yoda, and kind of has that mentor bond between him and Yoda that obviously Obi-Wan has never been with up until a certain point. And then Luke finally finds himself and then goes back. And it's like, we could have done this like last movie. Well, there's, there's that. There's also the aspect of there's some scenes in that, in that Dagobah stuff that don't really make sense. You know, he, he repeatedly in this movie uh, is talking to Ben Kenobi's ghost and Yoda and constantly express like he has the line at one point where he goes, I think Yoda has the line of, for 800 years have I trained Jedi, uh, who is ready, I will decide. And he goes, I am ready. You know, I've learned so much since then. And, he go, and, and I think about it, I'm like, you spent 12 hours on a plane ride with a guy. Like, I, like, I'm not trying to be, you know, the movies are great, but there are lines of dialogue where it's like George Lucas not understanding his own universe sometimes because he does the whole, you know, like, like I just said, you know, I've learned so much. You spent 12 hours on an airplane with somebody and you're good to go because you got like some basic, le- that'd be like me saying I read The Force for Dummies and now I'm ready to be trained by a, a Jedi Master. You know, like, oh, yeah. and then later on in the movie, you know, you have the scene with him and Vader, and he does the, you know, Obi-Wan has taught you well. It's like, well, no, Obi-Wan taught me during the, the layover at, at the at the Atlanta airport, and we were chilling, and then we went to Alderaan, and then there's a series of things happened, and then my teacher died, and then I went to this other planet, and I fired the luckiest shot in the history of lucky shots, and yeah, no, I'm a Jedi now. It's cool. Like, he gets the abbreviated version of all this teaching and then is arrogant about it going forward. There are stuff that doesn't make sense. This is also the movie where, as he's leaving Dagobah, you get the scene of uh, Yoda, or, or Ben says, that boy is our last hope. And Yoda busts out the, no, there is another. Which retroactively brings us back to the most disturbing scene in Empire, which is not Han being frozen in carbonite. It is not Luke getting his hand cut off. It's not Vader as my father. The most disturbing scene in Empire is what, AJ? What am I leading to? I don't know, because I figured, you know, the carbonite and the hand will be... No, the most disturbing scene in Empire is when Leia puts a nice, hard kiss right on Luke. Right? Like, she... Well, sure, if you want to go that route. I do want to go that route, because this movie says there's another Skywalker out there, right? Like, we kind of established that that's what's going on. And when Yoda says that, I'm like, all right, so you knew that she was his sister while you were writing this movie, but you still included that kiss. It's weird. It's a weird choice. It's a weird place to take this movie. Uh, I, I, and actually, I've been saving this story till we got to here. When the special editions came out in 1997, I think I mentioned to you that I saw Star Wars four times, Empire five times, and Jedi twice. We were trying to go for the six. For like, We wanted to do four, five, and six and see them all right. that amount of time. But by the time Jedi came out, it was summer, 
and I think Mission Impossible had come out. Anyway, we went and saw Empire opening night at midnight, me and my friend Tony Wallace, who uh, is my Star Wars sensei, and he and I are sitting, we had our seats in that theater that we went to, it was a golf mill theater in, in Niles, the old theater that had like this giant screen and all this stuff, and it had a balcony, and our seats for every movie we saw at that theater were dead center of the balcony, underneath the projector, like we always like to sit there, and we're sitting in our seats, and we're watching the movie, and she kisses Luke, and I'm not kidding you man, to this day, I'll remember this, this will be one of the last stories I remember when I, my brain eventually starts to go, some big dude who looks a lot like I look now uh, stood up and just yelled incest at the top of his lungs and the entire theater just guffawed in laughter this is the same movie by the way where some little like this is 1997 and those of you listening to this who weren't teenagers in the 90s I can never express to you how popular laser pens were in the late 90s but they were insanely popular they ruined movies and live events if you ever want to look into it go back and type in Vince McMahon laser pointer and watch him lose his mind because like 40 people are shining laser pens on his face while he's doing a promo one kid during the movie kept shining his laser pen at the screen during Empire and the same dude who did the incest line about an hour into the movie stands up and yells the next person who shines a laser pen on the screen I'm coming down there taking it and shoving it straight up your ass no more laser pens the rest of the movie (laughs) it was great but those are those are the stories from the night that these premiered. Also, the night Empire uh, premiered in theaters at midnight. We went and saw it, and then went back to my buddy Tony's house and played Star Wars Knights of the Force, which was the PlayStation One Star Wars fighting game, universally considered like the worst Star Wars game ever. It was called right. like the Masters of Terrace or something like that, and uh, we played that game until four in the morning. It was very nice. sad. We, we didn't go out a lot. I'm just saying. Well, I mean, my friends and I would play Star Wars, the board game, while trying to play Dungeons & Dragons. Uh, my, my friend and I, uh, to this day, he has Star Wars Risk, like the original trilogy Risk, yeah. and it is, yeah. it is retails right now on eBay. Not retails. It sells on eBay right now for $2,500. It's one of the coolest now. games you'll ever play. What? Now it does. Now it does, because it's very rare. But it is one of the best Risk games you'll ever play. And we did what you did, where we would combine like other board games into it. Like We had like a Star Wars Monopoly, and then we would play... Like It was this whole elaborate thing. But yeah, this is... But see, this is the thing with this movie in particular. If Star Wars is just Star Wars, it's going to be remembered as one of the greatest movies of all time, but a one-time thing. This is the movie that turns it into a franchise. And this is the movie that really builds the universe. You know, that there's... Just think about it. The first movie, you're on Tatooine for a majority of the film. You're on Tatooine for an hour and a half before you leave, and then you're just on spaceships or in bases. There's one scene on Yavin that shows you the outside of the planet, but for the most part, you're on, you know, you're on ships. This is the movie that goes to three separate planets, right, which gives you a bigger scope, a bigger way to play with this universe. So you you get the idea of, of how 
big this all is. And this is the one that introduces bounty hunters, really. I mean, you have Greedo in the, in the first one, but this is the one where you get Boba Fett and Dosk and IG-88. And I'm forgetting one, and my brain is sad. Damn it, I can't remember the other bounty hunter. Doesn't matter, I got three out of the four. The... But this is the movie that gives you all of that. This is the movie that gives you... For, and it's also the movie that gives you Billy D. Williams. But I want to dangle about really quick before we get off of it completely. This is also the movie where you start to understand what the Force is. Because you get the, you know... Hey, is the dark side stronger than the light? No. Quicker, easier, more seductive. I like that idea. It's, it's, it's very well presented. Yoda in this movie becomes... I don't even. I, I'm trying to think of a fictional comparison to him. Can you think of one like there's, like the second mentor? Like how many can you think of where that really kind of takes place? I can't really think of many. Right? Like I can't. Th- I can't think of any right now where there's there's a mentor in the first film, and then we go into the second one, and like a secondary mentor is presented. TV shows, sure, but in, in a movie, I can't really think of any. Which is one of the things that makes Yoda an interesting character because he kind of comes out of nowhere i do love the i do think the best scenes on dagobah are before he knows he's yoda do you agree unless you want unless you want kind of like gandalf from the hobbit through the lord of the rings movies yeah but even then you you have you know he's still gandalf the whole time like there's you never get a secondary character unless you want to count the harry potter movies you know what no that's i do that's fair. That's a good point. Because he's got Dumbledore, then he's got Sirius Black, and then back to Dumbledore. Right. I mean, that's an interesting idea. It's a good call. No, Harry Potter, very similar. Granted, it took eight movies for them to do what they do in two. But <laughs> but, it, it, but no, that's fair. Listen, I don't, it's, I don't dislike the Harry Potter movies. I think they're very, very good. Uh, I don't think that they're as good as Star Wars, but that's also because the last fight in uh, Harry Potter can never compare to Return of the Jedi, which we'll get into on Thursday at our live event, December 17th, at the Pickwick Theater. Tickets available now on movietickets.com. And if you're listening to this afterwards, you know, I hope you started with episode one and went through the whole thing with us. Anyway, the the, the thing I gotta... Do you like the scenes before... Do you like it when he knows he's Yoda, or do you think it's better when early on when he doesn't know who Yoda is and they have that Frank Oz that's when it feels really Jim Hensony where he feels more like a, like a Jim Henson Muppet early on when he's like not letting him know who he is that's the best part of Yoda I think I, I liked it when he didn't know who Yoda was because when you get when you get to Yoda now you're like well who's the gremlin right and and you get the, the the mystery of the whole thing. The, uh, I I just there are problems with that scene. Before we leave Dagobah, the other question to ask you: What do you think the meaning of the cave is? Like when he goes into the dark side cave, I, right? What do you think it means? Because I, I'm curious what you think, and I'll tell you what I think. And my friend, my roommate says that I'm right, but it it just it's not clear enough to me. Well, what do you think it is? I think the the the, the cave kind of represents um, something that is uncertain. It means uh, 
bridging from where he's at now and going to something else. I think that cave is kind of like that channel of going from one stage of his life to another. That's what you think it means. Yeah. Because to me, I've always took it as you only, what is it, you only take in what you bring with you. And I guess to me, I've always felt like the fear that he would become Darth Vader is what I always took away from that, that he is in some way afraid of becoming that. And it's only retroactively after you see the playing out of the movie that, well, he's also his father, so is he like getting a premonition of that early? They say in the Family Guy special uh, that they did of this movie, the the guy who does the, runs the convenience store, he's doing the voice of Yoda, the guy who's Archer, has the line of, uh, what is that? That place is strong in the dark side of the forest. But it's a weird scene, and it kind of just stops the movie dead for five minutes. Like, it's, it's honestly how I feel about that scene. It's, it's, it's not clear enough to serve a purpose. Therefore, it's just kind of weird in the, in the middle of there. Right? It is. It is. And, but that's, again, going back to Lucas's poor writing. Because it's clearly important. I just don't know why. But... Is it important? Well, it's not because I don't know why it is important. It's supposed to be I, important. I think it's filler. Okay, you think it's filler? Yeah, I mean, it's like, um, we need something. How about a cave? What's in the cave? Don't know. Let's philosophically fill it in. Yeah, it's it's a bizarre, it's a bizarre choice. It's a bizarre way to take it. Now, that's Luke on Dagobah. I think we're both in agreement that it's the weaker part of this movie. Let's get to the fun stuff. Han and Leia running. The chase part of the film. To, to me, I'm curious, AJ, when you were a kid and you watched this, did you not like the fact that she ends up picking Han? Or were you rooting for Han as a kid, that she would go with him? I was kind of rooting for Han because, again, when I saw Empire... I mean, what's to say it? Luke was an asshole. Yeah. In Empire. But what 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 yeah. do you what what do you think makes him an asshole in Empire? I'm just curious, like specifically. Because he, we we see him in Star Wars, and you know he's told that he's special and everything, and he learns about it. And now with Empire, it seems like he's getting a little cocky with himself, and feels like he can run the Rebel Force and. He's going to go off and doing his thing, but we all know that he needs Han at his side, not so more like a sidekick, but that person who understands how to fight the Empire and everything, and that's why I feel Luke is an asshole. I'm sorry, one of the webpages decided to start showing random Star Trek effects. <laughs> that happens. Um... That's what I think what makes him an asshole is that he kind of, as, as a, a character, um, you kind for me, I kind of drifted away from Luke and more so to Han at that point. This is Harrison Ford's movie. Of, of, the, of the three Star Wars movies, this is, this is the movie that I, I believe, if I'm correct, no Indiana Jones yet. This is the movie that leads into Raiders of the Lost Ark because this comes out in 1980. I'm pretty sure Raiders of the Lost Ark is, yeah, it's 81. So this is before Raiders. But this is the movie that kind of gives you 
This is he's in production of Raiders, though. Yeah, pre-production at this point, I would imagine. Yeah. All right, but right. but my point is also that this is the movie that it, it, Harrison Ford is the star of Empire Strikes Back, not Mark Hamill. Right. I mean, the, the, the story of this particular film, what happens to Luke is important for the narrative of the trilogy, but the story of this film is Han Solo. This is Han Solo's movie. And, it, and it's evident from the beginning, because who makes the save of Luke? It's not, Luke doesn't save himself, Han saves Luke. Like you said, cuts open the tauntaun, this is going to smell bad, kid, but it'll keep you warm. And he throws him in there, which also gave me my favorite nickname to call very good friends of mine, which is Kid. I still, to this day, will call friends of mine who are my age Kid because of this movie. The Don't shake your head at me on the video. It's disturbing and upsetting. And, he, folks, I should let you know, by the way, that AJ is a son of a bitch. And because he's got video, he's just occasionally using props and weird camera angles to mess with me to try to make me lose my train of thought. And it's happened a couple times, and I'm going to kill him when I see him on Thursday, December 17th, at the Pickwick Theater for our special live event. Overdoing that? I hate you. I hate you so much. (laughs) I have a... By the way... I'm, I'm going to cut you in half with my Kylo Ren super lightsaber that I have. That will be on display on I our table. I want to see that. I'm bringing all my lightsabers. I have seven. All your lightsabers? Yes, including the broken ones. I have several broken because ones. Because that's effective. Let me tell you something right now. I love my fake armory, and I will not... My precious armory! And I will not be distracted from it by people like you. You've almost made me lose this, but this is Han Solo's movie, damn it. Let me get to my point. Hurry up. Harrison Ford drives this movie so well that it becomes, that. that's part of the reason I love it, because I'm a kid of the 80s and 90s. Harrison Ford is my favorite actor as a kid, and this is the movie that sets him, and, and Carrie Fisher, this is her best performance as Leia. Possibly the best performance she gives in her entire career. She is on point with the character. The overacting that's in the first movie is gone. She is very much Harrison Ford's equal, and they play it perfectly. And it's summed up, I think, best in the scene after the... uh, when they're trying to fix the ship, when they're in the cave, and she's trying to fix that piece of machinery, and he comes in to try to help, and she he does the, I'm so sorry, Your Worship, I'm just trying to help. Would you please stop calling me that? Sure, Leia. You make it so difficult. Like, that's just the perfect... It's why I have such unhealthy relationships with women. Because of that scene. I like women who give me shit because of that scene. And that is, to me, the the essence of that movie. It's He's trying to be what she wants, and she doesn't like it, so she's... It's this weird thing that they're doing, but that, that whole sequence, it starts with when the hallway explodes and he gets her out. AJ... The Han Solo Leia stuff, what's your, besides the I love you, I know, what's your moment? What's the moment in that movie that really gets you? Um, I think I have to agree with you that Empire made Leia, and I really feel that the dialogue and the writing for Leia was really strong. Correct me if I'm wrong, didn't Carrie Fisher have a hand in crafting all that yeah she she's an uncredited writer on star on empire and return of the jedi because she's a great writer in well, unbelievable unbelievable if you, and if you, folks if you don't know about there's a just really quick there's a cool movie a trivia thing go back and look at a lot of really popular hollywood franchises and carrie fisher is actually one of the people who comes in and 
like cleans up dialogue for big budget movies. I'm just wanna you can look it up on IMDb. It's incredible. Go ahead. Well, I mean that's that's the whole point. She had a hand in crafting Leia, and I think she did a phenomenal job of creating a female character in a science fiction movie and made it her own because women in sci-fi before Star Wars was kind of ambiguous. You know, they really had no role. Um, If they did have a role, it was mostly... They were stupid. Yeah, you can look at the original Star Trek, and uh, which is a great example, where Kirk... like when Women were there to serve whatever purpose they needed to tell a Shatner story, right? Exactly. And Leia is a different person because... You can kind of tell that she's a rebel, but you you really have to construct all that and everything. And for Carrie Fisher to craft Leia as a more dimensional female character in this fictitious world really drew me in. It's like, well, she's more than just a princess. She's also a rebel fighter, and she also can make militaristic decisions and everything and she, so she's not just serving as well i'm just royalty so fuck off and she's not and and this is also from a time period where I mean, even look at indiana jones movies this is when women are i mean it's starting to change you, the, there's i always like to talk about the fact that this is a character that we mentioned the Muppets, right? How this is when the Muppets are happening. This is also during a very interesting period in cinema where female heroines are becoming, honestly, more believable than they are nowadays. I think that that period of the late 70s and early 80s, uh, women are actually better represented on screen by the females who play them than they are now. In today's world, a female hero, a best example would be Scarlett Johansson as Black Widow or jennifer lawrence as katniss right both of those women have very strong personalities but they're very dependent on and and i'm not trying to be bad about but they're dependent on the men around them in a way katniss a little bit less so but very much her motivation is save Peta, save lesser thor um they that's her motivation right you even Hermione, Hermione in Harry Potter, she's similar to Leia in that she's got that I'm the one in charge of the of the three of us. There's two men and one woman. She's the one who's going to make the decisions more even than Harry Potter, right? She's the one who's going to be like, this is what we need to do to get the job done. Empire Strikes Back really hammers. I mean, it starts in Star Wars, right? Because the minute that she gets rescued out of her cell, Leia takes charge. She's the one in charge from that moment on of the how to get off the Death Star. You have in Empire. She's not sitting in her room waiting for Han to come and sweep her off her feet. She's in the command center. She's annoyed that he's even there. It's a different way of perceiving women. This is the Sigourney Weaver in Aliens. This is Linda Hamilton in Terminator. The The female lead is becoming the star of the film, or at least the main part of the plot, and they're not damsels in distress. And Leia is the best example of that, especially in this movie. She's not waiting for Han to, like, save her or anything. She's actively participating in the story, which is a big difference from every movie that comes before it. it it's right. A- 
Go ahead. Right, and I think, and it won't be until Jedi where now there's a whole other dimension to Leia, and that is that there's a, albeit force, but a sexual side to her as well. Yeah, you know what? That's a good point because up until then, the 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 closest thing you'd get to like traditional like sexiness in these movies is until the the bikini is when she's lying on her side when Luke first goes into the cell. Like there's like a there is a like a two second pose of her like lying there like Cleopatra. But other than that, yeah. she's she's not treated as a sexual icon like it's not she's not played for like sexiness until return of the jedi no and i think and a lot of people in today will cast down quote-unquote slave leia right but here's the one thing i will say about that um because i know we'll talk about it at the pickwick theater about return of jedi and everything but the one here's the one thing i will say about this um having her play a slave adds that other dimension of, well, there has to be some sort of power play there that by having her being forced to be submissive means that she is a powerful woman already. Oh, I see what you Like, if, if she was a damsel in distress, it has if no meaning. If she was meaning. already submissive, then you wouldn't actually be a sex slave or a slave in general. But if you're more of a powerful woman, then you want to strip that person down and kind of degrade them and being the slave. You know what? That's a good point. That's interesting. And it, we'll get into this more on Thursday. Uh, but Carrie Fisher had some comments about that that right. uh, I feel are appropriate. But we'll save that for when we're talking on Thursday. Uh, again, at the Pickwick Theater uh, for the 7 o'clock showing. And tickets are available on movietickets.com. Uh, so... There's that aspect of this story. There are some amazing sequences just action-wise in this movie. Uh, the music for the asteroid chase makes that one of the most tense. I've seen this movie a hundred times, if not more, and every time I watch the asteroid chase, the music gets me every time. It's, it's, it's a testament to John Williams' skill, that asteroid chase. Because, let's face it, it's not... It's exciting, but it's much more exciting because of the music. Do you remember? Do you like the asteroid chase? Like the just the, even just the music of it. I mean, the music, I, and I never really touched on it even during the prequels times. Um, I love John Williams, right? Um, Who doesn't? And and not just Star Wars. Um, Encounters of Third Kind. He did E.T. Also, if I remember. Yeah, no, he did. He's done every Spielberg movie except, uh, I think, Bridge of Spies. So, so all of that and as Jaws. Well as other I, I mean, let's like, and, like, like we can go. I mean, Jaws, Indiana Jones, uh, Star Wars, uh, Saving Private Ryan, the Red Tails, actually the George Lucas movie, which is a terrible movie, but the 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 score is great. And John Williams. Put it this way, you want to know how you can describe how great John Williams is? The Boston Symphony Orchestra, San Francisco Symphony Orchestra, Chicago Symphony Orchestra all have at least once a year John Williams Night. They they, they just play his scores. It's amazing. And it's great, you know, and I've played some of 
his music and concert bands, and it's like phenomenal the way he's written all that stuff. I've been at I've been at like uh, hard rock like metal shows where all of a sudden in the middle of a show they'll just start playing the Imperial March. Like, and it, 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 is there a better? And it's funny to say this about Star Wars, but there are so many scores in the specifically in Star Wars, even more so than Indiana Jones, that are so identifiable, and a lot of them come out of Empire. As much as that that scene on Tatooine where Luke looks at the twin sons and does that whole deal is very beautifully written. It's Empire where the score really becomes thing. I mean, it is Empire that gives us gives us this. This little piece of music, which is, besides the cantina, probably the most used piece of Star Wars music, wouldn't you think? Yeah, I mean, talking about, like, bad What? Even when you're talking about, like, bad people, um, they kind of use that Imperial March to kind of describe who they are. I've heard it a few times about Mike Madigan, the Illinois Speaker of the House, that they call him the Emperor, and kind of use that background music when they talk about Mike Madigan. I mean, it's, it's been famously used when, uh, for those of you who are, I mean, this is a podcast, right? So this can exist in perpetuity. So this is out there on the internet. If you're listening to this in 2517 or whatever, this is during a time period when possible future President Donald Trump is running. And when he did his first announcement and he came down that escalator and that really weird thing in the mall, the parody video of it was to this song. Just to drive home that fact. It is, this is the movie that is filled with just such iconic music that I would argue that there are times when the movie takes a backdrop to the sound. I mean, wouldn't you agree that there are scenes in this movie where it's like the music is more important than what's happening on screen? Well, yeah, I mean, but that's the beauty about John Williams is that he helps us um, go from one scene to another and kind of creates a whole different... He adds texture to the narrative. So when that drop-down scene where you see the scrawl and then... The camera drops down to a scene, and you can kind of hear like flute music and everything. He helps us guide us through all these scenes. You know what? It's interesting you say that. Like he, he is he is the puck of Star Wars. He's the what? The puck of Star Wars. Are you making a Midsummer Night's Dream reference now? Yeah. All right. So we've we've gone from. We've gone from D.W. Griffith's Birth of a Nation to Howard the Duck to Shakespeare, ladies and gentlemen, on a podcast about the Empire Strikes Back. If nothing speaks to the power of this movie more than the fact that you can do that, I, I don't know what is. But it's interesting what you said. The uh, I, I like what you're saying, though, about Williams, where he, he, he almost has the ability to tell us what emotions to be feeling in a scene based on his music, as opposed Ooh. to most movies that do it differently. And the movie that does that? No. Honestly I can't. I was gonna say maybe the Indiana Jones movies, but those are such solidly made movies that while the music is important, it's not nearly as you know what, I can give you one scene. I can give you one scene. 
Uh, if the music was different in Indiana Jones, Rage of the Lost Ark, when he comes down the hill uh, on the horse, and they play that, like, it's not the the march, but it's that, it's like a very uh, quick succession drum beat as the horse's hooves hit the dirt as he comes down the hill to chase behind the truck. That would be the one scene, in, other than in Star Wars, where I would say the music is more important than what's actually happening. In that one particular scene, but in Star Wars, you can make that argument for almost the entire freaking trilogy. Because I mean, we've, I think the one movie that can probably serve as the guide, if it were, is The Crow. Okay, I, I, I haven't seen The Crow since Blockbuster closed. So. <laughs> You haven't seen the crow since Blockbuster closed. If I added another syllable, if I owe it for that moment, let me ask you a question. If if I added another syllable to that, would that have been a haiku? It would have been. Mm. I I got nothing. I'm not a poet, especially not a Japanese one. The uh, we're getting coming up on the end of this stuff, so let's let's get to Bespin and and kind of go through the. Stop here. So we've got the asteroid chase. We've got the scene with the the this cave is collapsing. It's no cave, and they fly through it. And you got that the the best part is when they're coming up on the in the asteroid sequence when they come up on that narrow canyon, and it's the only time you ever see the Falcon just go sideways to like narrowly fit through there, which is sweet. Right. We get to Bespin. We meet the smoothest motherfucker in the galaxy, and Lando Calrissian, who does that great. 80s movie cliche of you got a lot of guts coming here like doing the fake anger and then goes into the hug which is then stolen throughout the rest of the 80s by every action movie where you've got to go look up an old friend right then we have the the betrayal by lando which i want to talk to you about that is lando a villain until he saves han or do you think that he kind of had that whole plan in his head or is it only after the deal got really bad that he decided to try to help out like he's a weird character in that movie because by the third movie he's a hero but in this one it's in a way similar to Anakin where it's just like I'm doing the wrong thing I'm doing the wrong thing I'm doing the wrong thing and one thing happens now I'm a good guy um I've always looked at Lando as an opportunist that he really has no loyalty with anybody if you can give him a good deal then he'll do what he wants okay i never liked lando really i never did i mean yeah i mean i thought he was just an obscure character well there's an argument to be made that he was in there to i mean diversify the film and I, oh, yeah. Th- th- there's that, but there's also the fact of his character is interesting only in that it. But I will say this: the one thing I give Lando, and we, I was talking about universe building. I do like that he kind of walks the line, and you get this thing that not everyone in this universe is good or evil, right? That there are people who are just trying to live their lives. Like Lando, until Han shows up on his thing, is just a dude trying to chill, right? Like he's just trying to run a business. And it's, you know. it's it's only after he gets involved in this that he does all this stuff. Again, going to the expanded universe, as I put on my geek glasses, he's a character who even in that universe isn't, he doesn't instantly become like a hero of the rebellion. He's just a guy. He's there. 
And I like that idea of it. It's interesting that he betrays him, but doesn't really... He does have one great moment in this movie that's just very Billy D. It's not even Lando, it's Billy D. Which is when Han decks him and knocks him down, and Lando pops back up and very... Martin Sheen in the West Wing puts his cape back on. You know what I'm talking about? Like that's it's just yeah. a great Billy D moment. It is. And he just starts hitting on Leia right when they get there. Mm-hmm. And then of course, you know, we get the whole thing of uh, he's not after you at all. We're after he's after somebody called uh, Skywalker. Luke, you set everybody up great. Like that whole sequence is good, but then we get to the death of the the third I don't know, first or second best lightsaber fight in all of Star Wars. Because I, I figure Vader and Luke at the end of Jedi is the best lightsaber fight of any of them. But the one they have here, the first WrestleMania, is is really, really good. And you have a lot of great dialogue in it. There's you know that great scene of Vader standing. The, the, the set itself for the Carbonite Room is fantastic. We have, should we discuss, I know, do you think? Yeah, sure. I mean, it's talked about the death. I don't want to spend a lot of time on it, but just your re- as a kid, did you understand that? Like, I never as as a kid, and I guess because I grew up with it, the "I love you, I know" wasn't that special to me. It's only as you get older and you've seen a lot more romantic movies that you realize how badass a line that is when you were a kid did it have like a meaning to you? like did you notice how cool it was as a kid or did you not no because i mean i think you and i probably saw empire around the same age and when i saw that i mean that really meant nothing to me but i was i also was not into like romantic movies right or any like i think the exception of that would be breakfast club and everything. Okay. Um, so, no, that really meant nothing to me at all. The The interesting thing to me that as, as this all kind of goes through with the I know scene, knowing that, Hans, uh, that Harrison Ford wrote that on set, like just kind of came up with it was great. Knowing that it identifies him as being that kind of character where... I love you, I love you too, isn't really going to fit him. I, I, I get that. He gets the, the frozen and carbonite thing, and he gets to the down ending. Luke gets his hand cut off, finds out Vader's his dad, and sets up very nicely the, the finale of this trilogy. Knowing what we know, and talking about it, you still... I, I, let me explain something, why I think this is the best of the three. It's the best directed of the three movies, without a doubt. Just cinematically, it is. It is. It's directed by a guy named Irv Kirshner. Uh, I'm not that familiar with his IMDb. to be. I really only know him from this, but he is such a fantastic director. Just on this movie, it is. It's shot beautifully. Uh, the camera moves make sense. Uh, the the set and going in like the 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 sets of the Carbonite Room are fantastic. Bespin's a cool idea. The floating, ci- the sky city, that's a cool concept. There's so much good stuff in this movie, and it sets up just wonderfully going into Return of the Jedi. We're coming up on the end of this, AJ. Final thoughts on Empire Strikes Back? 
Um, I, I felt I, like I said before, Empire was one of the okay original trilogy movies. I think it's just that next plateau sequel that helps us get into Jedi. Um, I do agree that there are some cinematic elements to it that really enhance what Star Wars is about and actually is constructing the narrative of um, what the Force means, what it means to be a a rebel, Jedi rebel, um, and really start growing each individual character as well as putting us on the edge of our seat to know what's going to happen next, which we will find more about in Jedi and more so in Force Awakens. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, we're going to get ready to wrap this thing up, and i got to you know, do our little queue up thing here. But I would simply say that this is my favorite Star Wars movie. Without a question, this is my favorite. And... I love the idea of the down ending, but more than anything else, I think I love the cliffhanger aspect, AJ, because this is the only Star Wars movie that promises more. You know what I'm saying? Like, end of Star Wars, that's the end of that story. End of Jedi, end of the story. End of Episode 1, end of that story. End of Episode 2, I want to kill myself. End of Episode 3, we're going into A New Hope, but it's also kind of the conclusion of the Anakin story. This is the only one that, like, finishes, and you have that feeling of, I can't wait to see what happens next. And... I wonder if that's why I love this movie more than anything else. Because I am, if nothing else, a sucker for continuing narratives. I, I just love that very, very much. This is my favorite Star Wars movie. I think next week we're going into yours? Yes. All right. Not next week. Thursday at the Pickwick. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, we are going to wrap this one up. We've been going for an hour on Empire. We Get ready for an extra long edition. Complete with a Star Wars uh, Force Awakens review to be recorded Thursday night, 7 o'clock, at the Pickwick. The movie will begin. Figure we'll be done with the movie at 9.30. Expect the review to be up by 11 o'clock. We'll have to discuss, by the way, during the podcast on Thursday, AJ, whether or not we're going to do spoilers. Uh, This, ladies and gentlemen, has been the Chicago Podcast Network. AJ, say goodbye to the wonderful people in a way that only you can. Bye, wonderful people. There it is, folks. This has been the Chicago Podcast Network. I am Nick Sarantos. That was AJ Signary. We will be uh, broadcasting Thursday at the uh, Pickwick Theater. We've said it enough times during the podcast. We're very excited. Get giveaways, all sorts of fun stuff to do. Other than that, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so very much for listening to this episode. If you're listening to this after the event, well, thank you for coming or for following us, or if that's how you found us, then the plan has come to fruition, and everything is proceeding exactly as I have foreseen. Other than that, ladies and gentlemen, we out! We got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes, it's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it!